beginning, I wanted to encourage everyone, it's, give us a review of this podcast or our podcast in general on Google My Business. And that link is in the show notes. Just click on that link. You'll have to sign into your Gmail account or your Google account. And then give us some feedback on this episode or the podcast overall. I'm trying to do an alternative to giving reviews in Apple Podcasts and just do it on Google. So the link is in the show notes. You'll have to sign into your Google account and give us a review. And I thought, how am I going to find these people? How am I going to connect? Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't hang out at my local Starbucks. I'm not going to hang out at a country club. So where am I going to connect? Right. One of the best ways to connect with these people is through charities. Oh, good point. I found, I found right. a charity I had a passion for, which was animal rights and environment. Mm -hmm. And there was a huge, huge international charity I never heard of. They're primarily focused on these people from the Fortune 1000 to make donations and they regranted the money to all these countries around the world. Well, when I saw the, the board of director list and the donor list, I was like, oh my gosh, this is heaven. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had an opportunity, they were located in Washington, DC. I had an opportunity to go there for another women's group uh, meeting that was actually at that time held under President um, Bush. And uh, I stopped in their offices. And I yes. said, hi, here I am. You know, I want to know more about your organization. Do you look for small business owners, you know, to donate? Is there a way I can get involved? And they invited me in. We are looking forward our way. We're in Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewery District, south of downtown Columbus. This is Brett, and with me as always is Carol. What's on the agenda today? You know, Brett, I have been... <laughs> I've been teasing you for a year now that this is really my podcast because I bring in all my friends. Well, that, I, I, I figured that out and a while my, back. And yeah. my alum colleagues, you know, and everything. Sure, so sure. we're back at it. And actually, what we've been doing this past year is sort of exercising our network networking muscle, right? which we are always, I always tell clients, you know, network, network, get network, get out there. And, and that's what we've been doing. We have been pulling in all of our friends. Today, we are actually Zooming to Arizona mm -hmm. to talk to my friend, Darlene Zabel. I'll get it right. I've known her for years. <laughs> Continue to say her name wrong. But you just put the Italian spin on I it. I put the Italian spin on it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, Darlene has been a, um, a women business owner, entrepreneur, um, owning four businesses over many, many years. And so we are going to pick her brain about entrepreneurism today. Exactly. Welcome. Thank you for being with us. And we figured out the scheduling to get it done. Um, but we want to show mountain off your talents. Time. Yeah, mountain time. Exactly. <laughs> and I, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I wanted to go over what you say about yourself and LinkedIn. Um, Darlene is a veteran entrepreneur, board director, CEO, and management consultant. Her unique methodology brings the entrepreneur's fire and passion and successfully proven business techniques that give business owners a greater chance of success. She uses her enterprise-wide level of expertise, or experience, I should say, but both actually, as a Fortune 100 management consultant and her entrepreneurship to provide a unique blend of business talent. Well, we know we, we know that women and men can successfully own businesses. Uh, what are the top elements needed for successful business ownership that we should include in today's discussion? And, and talk about that, how your background brings that together. 
Well, it's interesting. Thank you, first of all, Carol, uh, for inviting me back. And it's great to reconnect yes. and, and for meeting your Brett. So in the introduction, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, there is so much that goes into it. But I, I just want to mention something that most people don't know. Um, do you know how many people who set out to climb Mount Everest actually reached the top? Very yeah, 60 few. Percent, well, 60% of them do. Oh. And they have done that for the past, since 1990s. They have some of the best guides and mentors in the world. Okay. During that same time frame, only 15% of all startups ever make it to five years. There you go. Hmm. So you have to ask yourself, you know, save your money. It's easier to climb Mount Everest than <laughs> it is to start a business and survive. Right. Which is... The, the reason for the titles of some of my books. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. So I guess, you know, there's so many pieces that go into it. But um, just to get to, first of all, I think the biggest vision is to have patience and to have a goal to survive five years and be willing to do whatever it takes to get there. You know, when they climb the mountain, they're, they're testing it out three or four times before they actually get to the top. Mm -hmm. You know, and a small business owner just jumps in and expects to win. So it's a huge difference. Well, and, and two, to carry that even a little farther, as they are going up the mountain, they don't just take one, like, straight up. They're plateauing as they go and setting short-term goals for themselves, too. Exactly. Um, good. Exactly. Most business owners I know jump in. They don't have a plan. They don't even have a destination. And that's mistake number one. So you have to have a destination. You have to have a time frame because you can't keep climbing the mountain the entire year. They have a very short window, mm -hmm. you know, of about two months when you can make that happen. So you have to give yourself a, you know, somewhat of a time frame. And you have to be able to afford to live during that time frame when you're not making any money. Right. You know, mm -hmm. businesses aren't going to start making money year one. I lived, I lived in my sister's basement, uh, Carol, when you met me when I started Actoris Consulting Group. Yes. You know, they gave me a place to live because I had taken no salary uh, for about the first six or seven months. Uh, but I do remember visiting uh, with you and Rick at Actoris, and we were having a great time in Chicago, though, so that was okay. <laughs> No, we, I know. Well, by the time you got there, we were making yeah, money. So you, we were, you guys, you were okay then. Dog, we were having dinners. And, Too funny. You know, prior to that, I'm eating hot dogs. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, yeah, I do That's remember those those Chicago dinners. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so for our listeners, um, one of the things I wanted to make sure you that everybody knew about, and we'll put um, uh, information and resources on our webpage when we post this, but Darlene wrote a book. I love the title of this, A Dozen Avalanche threaten small business which one will bury you alive <laughs> and so for for those folks who are thinking about doing a small business um, it, it's lots of good bits and pieces of information that uh, not not that they're going to change your mind but to try to get you on a path and that that is so important so you know a lot of folks I would talk to, when I was doing career counseling, um, people had told them, oh, start your own business. You got this hobby. You can do this. You can do that. Start your own business. When I retired, everybody was saying, oh, do you want to do grant writing? Do you want to be a consultant? And I'm like, yeah, well, no. <laughs> so, but, but there are folks who have those skills and have that expertise. But 
they really don't necessarily understand all the bits and pieces to transform a hobby into a business. Um, at what point does an entrepreneur really need to shift that focus and make sure that something that's fun as a hobby can actually become something where they're going to make money and, and be able to live? You know, what happens with financing and their structure and um, even possibly hiring employees? Let's, there there you go. Well, you know, it's, there's a simple answer to that. Can they afford to live on the money they're making on their hobby right and they have to they have to think about you know do they have children getting ready to go to college do they need to replace their health care you know a lot of times people are in their 40s and 50 year age range before they take their hobby and, and launch it into a business because mm-hmm. something happened in their career path you know maybe there was downsizing maybe there's no more place for them to go up you know, in their career. And so then they look to see where else they can supplement their income. Now, I met one couple recently who I had an opportunity to meet a business owner. Her husband, they had a hobby refurnishing uh, furniture. Mm -hmm. And they did that as a hobby for years. And then he got a job working for someone else who did that. So he was able to establish himself and make some money and still do their hobby. She kept a job to cover all the health care benefits. People make sacrifices to make this work. Right. And then once they had enough money, then she quit her job. And now they're expanding and they're going to get ready to hire employees, which is, okay, one of the avalanches I talk about. Because now people are so excited they're making money, they're just going to jump into it and grow. Right. And and that's one of the biggest challenges because not all big companies make money. Sometimes you actually are much more profitable staying smaller. You know, I used to actually see some of this from a nonprofit standpoint when I was the director of an agency. Um, someone would have a great idea. They were unemployed. They, you know, they weren't working. Well, now is the time for them to start their own nonprofit. And they'd come and talk to me about that. And when I started telling them all of the bits and pieces of what they needed to do um, to create that nonprofit and, and be able to pay themselves and staff or were even the cost of a volunteer. There's still a cost there. Um, so people really need to get all that information. Yeah. yeah, my brother launched a nonprofit three years ago, and there's nothing worse than trying to advise your family. And just before I got on this show with you, uh, I'm working with him on doing a fundraiser uh, for children in the area. He has an animal sanctuary. He's a huge animal lover. He's, he's a big believer in animal rights and he provides shelter for animals that have been neglected, abused, and shelters them for the rest of their life. Now, it's three years. The pandemic almost mm. shut him down. There were no very few donations, uh, let alone volunteers. He does, you know, you're talking about muck and stalls, mm-hmm. you know, taking right. care of horses, taking care of starving dogs, you know, even pigs that were abused. He's got a pig, a mama pig with a baby pig that was oh. left out on the road. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's still not paying himself a salary. Yeah. He's still not, and it's three years. So he's committed to making this work. Uh, but like I said, the pandemic almost shut him down, but he was able to get enough local sponsors and um, local volunteers who brought their children to help. So, but like, it's, it's it, uh, running a nonprofit, you have to have a business plan. You have to have a goal to make money. Right. So money is coming in from your donors. Mm-hmm. As opposed to selling a widget, right. it's it's exactly. really it's exactly. it's still act it's still yeah. out there. Yeah. So so for our listeners though, in terms of you know if you're really interested in in looking at creating a business, 
lots of bits and pieces of information that they need to have a good handle on before they walk away or walk into this this opportunity. Right. Exactly. You got me thinking too that I mean most people that okay they're going to go into uh, you know solo premiere doing their hobby, but they had worked for somebody previously. They didn't. I, I'm guilty of that of that too of knowing okay this piece has to go to the government this piece has to go to the government how much of that let's say it's a thousand dollars a month you really get to pocket and I'm sure there's exactly. a rule there's a rule of thumb you could probably use but at the same time you could be in a totally different situation right. and with me as well too that that conversion of you start as an LLC and you start to make too much money. Bad thing, you know, good thing, but all of a sudden you you get hit by taxes, and it's a, you've got to have those partnerships around you to mm-hmm. advise you. It's like, yeah, if you turn to an S corp, that's going to protect you, and here are all the benefits to that. You're ready, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of different uh, pieces mm. to that. You know, the liability issue, the tax mm. issue. Yeah. But a young woman came to me once for help. They were making so much money in their. Uh, business, but their bookkeeper slash accountant who they hired, who was a friend, uh, and I'm not adverse to hiring friends and family. My sister, Carol, you know her, was mm-hmm. my bookkeeper for years because I could trust her, but she was a trained bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, this young woman lost her business because the bookkeeper didn't post the liabilities correctly on their balance sheet. Oh she gosh. had a lot less money than she thought she had. Mm. Right. Wow. And when the time came to pay the bills, Guess what? There wasn't any money left, and they spent it on things they shouldn't have spent it on mm-hmm. because they should have posted it as a future liability to pay future bills, and they they didn't have the right accounting advice. So she actually lost her whole business because wow. of that. Wow. Not wow. because she didn't have customers, and That's... she was very good at what she did. It was it was just all a bookkeeping error. Wow. Well, you know, women can be successful business owners, but they've got a lot of challenges against them compared to men. Bottom line, uh, what in your career progression led you to business ownership and how did you beat those challenges? <laughs> you know, uh, this question comes up quite often and um, I don't know where I really wanted to become a business owner, but I always wanted that. My parents weren't. My, all of my grandparents were on both sides. So I don't know if it skips generations or what, but I knew I didn't, I, if I just kept working for someone, I wasn't going to achieve the personal goals I wanted to achieve. And after my first big career job out of college, the company closed and gave me a huge severance package, which is when I bought my first business. I bought a retail store. And I jumped into it, not knowing very much, but I was fortunate that I had a friend whose father was one of the founders of one of the largest drug chains in this country. And he agreed to be my mentor. And I still made mistakes because I didn't always listen to him. Carol, you were talking about these people coming in saying, oh, you should do this, oh, you should do that. A lot of people came in my store saying, oh, you should do this. Even vendors, oh, you should do that. And being young, I thought, oh, they know more than I do. Well, (laughs) guess what? Their recommendations made them more money and made me less. I was going to say, that'd be the last person to take advice from as a vendor. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And my mentor came back. Yeah, Yeah. my mentor came back in one day and said, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. What did I teach you? And I said, well, I thought he, you know, and yeah. yeah, So that was was huge lesson number one. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I survived. I mean, I turned it around, but only because of his help. Mm-hmm. So, so that's you, why I said you have to get somebody who really has been there before. Right, mm-hmm. right. And and that really gets to my next question, too. You and I are both networkers. We, I, I, well, and I said, and, you know, in Columbus, Ohio, um, poor Kevin Bacon has six degrees of separation. But in yeah. Columbus is such a small town. It's really only three degrees of separation. And I'm Italian and related to half the city. <laughs> so for me, it's like only just one or two. So networking is not an issue. Um, but it can be really difficult for women, especially young women, they, they, especially when they don't know how to get off their telephone. They don't know how yeah. to really talk to folks. Tell us about the networking steps that you consider most important to grow a business. How do we actually meet those leaders? You just talked about meeting your friend's father. Um, but And let's also discuss your uh, the Center for uh, Women Business Owners and other organizations that support female-owned businesses. Well, that's, that's a two-part question. So Center for Women Business Owners, I found it online when no one else had online groups. I was before Facebook and everybody else. And the purpose of that organization was to help women learn from those who did it before them. Mm-hmm. And I'd bring in a lot of speakers. Um, and actually, it was a Rolodex networking, education, and motivational group. It was three parts uh, to provide them with as much information as they, they, you know, like your question, how do you find these people? Mm-hmm. Well, today, it's a lot easier then you'd have to go to groups and ask people and make friends and say, do you know anyone who's done this before? And I learned early on not to listen to everybody because if you do, you're going to fail. You know, it's the old Aesop fable, you know, when you take it, and I've got a video on my YouTube channel, when you take the donkey into town and everyone's telling you what to do, and by the time you get to town, you lose the donkey in the river, you know, you've lost your you-know-what. So you can't listen to everybody <laughs> when it comes to telling you how to Got run it. a business, especially took me if a minute. they've never owned a business before. Right. Hey, I got a real cute video out there. you got to go out on YouTube. I, I hired an actor, and I love I, it's, it. it's, it's real cute. And this poor woman's trying to get her donkey to town, and everyone's telling her how to run her donkey business before she gets there. Now she's carrying the donkey, trying to get it into town, and loses it in the river. Oh, but, oh my gosh. You know, so you can't, you, first of all, you can't listen to everybody because you're going to lose your behind. Um, But to find these people now, the six degrees of separation is what I love to do. I take a white piece of paper, draw a circle in the middle, and I put in the names of all the people I want to meet. And I did this at Ectoris. And I wanted to meet some of the Fortune 10. I wanted to meet the founders. I wanted to meet the, the, the people behind this, which were mostly men. And I thought, how am I going to find these people? How am I going to connect? Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't hang out at my local <laughs> Starbucks. I'm not going to hang out at a country club. So where am I going to connect? Right. One of the best ways to connect with these people is through charities. Oh, good I point. Found, I found right. a charity I had a passion for, which was animal rights and environment. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge, huge international charity I never heard of. They're primarily focused on these people from the Fortune 1000 to make donations, and they regranted the money to all these countries around the world. Well, when I saw the, the board of director list and the donor list, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. So I had an op- they were located in Washington, D.C. I had an opportunity to go there for another women's group uh, meeting that was actually at that time held under President uh, Bush, and uh, I stopped in their offices. And I yes. said, hi, here I am. 
you know, I want to know more about your organization. Do you look for small business owners, you know, to donate? Is there a way I can get involved? And they invited me in. Nice. I met some of the biggest guys, biggest guys in the country that way. Hmm. But but I think too, I'm just I just want to um, tell our listeners that there are two sides of the networking. You're giving us great ideas on how to initiate potential networking connections, but it's a two-way street. And that's where I think a lot of people also miss out on on how to be a good networker. They're they're not listening. I'm not saying they have to do everything people tell them, but they really need to listen. They need to do their follow-up. They can't just um, tell somebody what they want without expecting to hear back from them. Like, you're telling them you want to be connected, but you're also telling them that because you want to help their organizations. It's not Correct. just that you're looking for a job or wanting to start your own business or whatever that may be. So I think that there's a lot of, of um, networking that people miss out on because they really don't have a good feel for how to be a good networker themselves. Anything in business, networking, getting clients, getting mentors is a two-way street. It's got to be a win-win. Strategic right. alliances. I always believe there's enough money in the world to work with your competitors as well. Right. And sometimes partnering with competitors, you everyone can win. You know, you have more buying power. You have you have more visibility. You have the opportunity to get at more customers. Right. And you can't. You're absolutely right, Carol. You can't go to a networking event, introduce yourself, and expect the organizer of the event just to give you leads. Right. You know, just to give you clients. It does not work that way. And if you're walking into a networking event scared to death, the best thing to do is find somebody to walk in with you. Um, oh, yeah. I have another way to do that. I've been to so many by myself. Right. I wear a bright red suit. Yes. I have two, two bright red suits, and I'll stand in, in the room that's kind of empty. And if mm-hmm. I'm standing there all by myself, people just start coming up and asking me questions like, oh, who right. are you? What do you do? You know, right. so instead of me barging into conversations, they typically leave their conversations right. and then come to me. Go so find. You have, to, you have to find a way to stand out, be different, give back. You know, how can you share in the networking? I've been to so many women networking. My niece is a photographer, and when she re- relocated to Arizona, I helped her with her business plan, and she was trying to meet new people. So she dragged me to these events, and it was nothing but stand up. Here's what I sell. You know, are you right. buying? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And, that, and that really isn't true networking. Networking really is a lifelong connection. It's right. not a one and done. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You yeah. know, was, Absolutely. A thought came to mind in those networking situations. Rather than putting your name on your name tag, put on there, ask me about my monkey. Really? <laughs> good, good one. I'm going to use that next time. Ask me about my elephant. Or, or, or your elephant. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> you know, well, that elephant in the room is. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Just> me. <laughs> or ask me about my donkey and go to that donkey story. I yeah. love that. Oh, that that's was, good. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Ask me about my donkey. Yeah. Ask me how I lost my donkey. How there, I yeah. How I lost there my you donkey. go. I lost my donkey. <laughs> you know, AKA when, my. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, we, whenever we had um, our, our job fairs at, at our agency, I would literally stand near the door and watch people go in, see that sea of employers and other job seekers, and turn around and walk out because they yeah. were scared to death. So I'd pull them aside. we talk a little while. I'd walk them in, introduce them to one employer, and they were fine. Did that 
nearly every year. And and networking wow. is not hard, not easy. It, it you have to practice on being a good networker, but it can be done. And and right. it's you have vital. to know what you're you have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, true, absolutely. You know, a lot of people just show up to see well what's there. You know, when I started specifically doing the six degrees of separation, I knew who I wanted to meet and right. why, the type of person I wanted to meet. And that gets back to most uh, business owners don't even know, they can't even describe their ideal customer. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And if they can't do that, they don't know where to network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's the same with a job seeker. If you don't know what you want to do, don't expect yeah. an employer to tell you what job they're going to give you. So Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, business owners need to stay on top of information. We alluded to that earlier. Um, that's going to support their organization. You mentioned that you know eighty five percent of all startups fail before year five. Uh, that's a, a stat that's really hasn't changed over a couple of decades. Do you have any suggestions on where to find solid business info and advice that at least gives you a chance <laughs> to make it into that fifteen percent? <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, well, rule number one <clears throat> for me is I don't go into a business where I have to create a market. Mm-hmm. Uh, of that 85% that fail, 40% are failing because they're trying to sell a product or service no one no else wants. currently bought. Mm-hmm. You guys remember the pet rock, you know. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> right. They buy it for five minutes. The it worked for a hot <laughs> minute, and that's about it, yeah. For, yeah, for yep. free. But then how do you get people to buy the rocks? Well, they had to pay for massive television advertising. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because no one knew about the pet rock. But you know, those chia pets are still working. <laughs> I can't figure that one out. Well, and, 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 think, and think about the pet ones. rock thing, though, because it's an endless supply. You have rocks all over the place. Yeah, it should work, right? <laughs> no, no, no problem with inventory supply, or supply, supply and demand. Chain yeah, or anything I mean, like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everyone needs a rock. Everyone. Yes, but, yeah. yeah. But so I, I just really think that if people are looking at. Um, and I see this in chat rooms because I, I love to follow the 20 plus year old chat rooms online wow. for entrepreneurs <laughs> and they all have these crazy ideas. And one of them from Germany actually found me in one of the publications I was featured in and he uh, sent me a message and he said, you know, can I talk to you? And then he was shocked that I, I gave him a free hour of my, my coaching time. And, and he was very young and he said, well, he didn't want to tell me what the idea was. And I didn't, you know, I, you know, kudos to him. He just didn't hand out the idea, but he said, well, you said in your article that, you know, you reach seven figures in 24 months. How do you do that? And I said, if I don't reach seven figures in 24 months, I don't even start the business. Yeah. You know, I, I do the plan. Mm-hmm. And if it does, if it looks like like the pet rock, I got to come up with a million dollars to get people to give me a hundred thousand to buy it. I scrap it. Right. I said I probably throw away more business ideas I get than anything I've launched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can see this on reality TV show now. You know, uh, they don't yeah. go after every idea that comes on there. Mm-hmm. They know it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think I read somewhere like thirty percent of those even fail that they do fund. Right. So. Yeah. That. And you that, have to have you have to test it, like you said, Carol. You have to know what it is, why they're buying it, who's going to buy it, who's the ideal customer, what solves that customer's problem. Does it give them fun, entertainment? Does it fix a disease? You know, does it fix a problem? It's got to right. be a win-win. You know that that hit, that just hit me. I always would tell clients as job seekers. 
you need to be able to prove to an employer that you are bringing value to their table. And really, doing their own business is the same thing. You have to be able to show that what you are trying to sell is going to give value of some level to the person who's buying it. If if there's no value, they don't need it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I see this. I see this in networking groups that I'm involved with, with, you know, a lot older people investing a lot of money in getting patents. Right. And one of them came to me for advice. It was a medical device. And I told her about a, I don't want to get into it because it's of the NDAs, but I told her about a possible drug alternative. And she just looked at me and said, oh, I didn't know that. Oh. I said, I think you better, you're not checking all your competition. Right. You're looking at competition in the metal, medical device area, but what if they don't even need the device at all? Mm. Who are those competitors? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. yeah oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least you were able to tell them that before they got started yeah. trying yeah. to sell it's, it. So. I must, you know, out of all the clients I get, I'm sure 20% of them I convince not to spend any more money. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically what happens, they just don't go away sad. They usually come back with a d- better business idea. Oh, they go, oh, now I get it. Oh, this will make money. I was right. wondering how much, if you got any yeah. like pushback or just that they are mad at you going, what do you mean? I spent all this money and you're telling me that yeah. I can't salvage yeah. any of this? Like cut off yeah, your losses. Right. And that's, that's, a, that's a sour pill. It's a very sour pill. And I tell them, you know, there's so many, you know, we connect on LinkedIn, we connect on all these social media sites. You know, I have 560,000 competitors in the United States. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm one of that massive ocean of, of sea of people. And they're all going to tell you how great it is. Mm -hmm. Buy my stuff. It's Mm -hmm. great. You'll be able to win too. It's natural. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not um, true. My goodness. So uh, that's yeah, okay. It's hard. It's like, well, and I, so I mean, if they have, if they have the basic foundation, right? You know, then they're going to see the opportunities. Right. 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 That's true. You know, you almost have to go through those steps of, I don't want to call it a failure, but of um, challenges. Challenges <laughs> that that will make it better for the next time. Yeah. And I, I, I never like you said that failure. I never liked that term. Fail fast. Right. Yeah. I, I get what they're going at it, but it just it just seems like maybe you don't want to necessarily fail. <laughs> you right. know, it's a. I just I just tell them a, come to me as soon as you can. Yeah. Spend spend a little bit of money with me than the thousands you're going to spend trying to promote your business. Right. Let's see if there's some way we can regroup, refocus, figure out where that niche is. I get a lot of responses. I speak for the SBA at SCORE. I give a lot of webinars. And people come to me at the end and sign up with me and go, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, what are you selling? And they go, this, you know, like you were talking about hobbies. One is selling on Etsy. And she says, well, I was told if I had my own website selling it, I'd get more customers. And I go, why? How do they know where you are? Right. Well, and how to market. (laughs) I was just going to say, and you cannot you cannot replace those huge groups like it no so yeah. mm-hmm. you know it, no. and you're one of millions right on these huge groups right mm-hmm. so how do people find you in these groups right you know i deliberately joined a lot of um consulting groups to sell consulting services and i think i joined one six months ago i have i haven't gotten one call 
Now, I deliberately didn't market to it. I, I market to my own website, but I just wanted to see what the response was. Mm-hmm. There's right. thousands, thousands of people out there. Right. So how are they going to find know, me? This, you know? And this kind of tags back. I keep making this, uh, uh, showing the, the differences in the small business ownership and looking for a job. And, and in actuality, there aren't a lot of differences. Just as you need to do your research to be a good job seeker, you need to understand your transferable skills, understand what value you are bringing to an employer. That's the research you're doing for small business. It's not just because you like to make that widget that's going to make you a good small business person. There's just other bits and Correct. pieces. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, th- so this gets me to the, to the next question. We've already sort of hit on this a little bit. In your book, um, A Dozen Avalanches, you talk about building a foundation for the company. You have a team of experienced individuals to support you to do strategic planning. You may have an executive coach, HR consultants, marketing experts, accounting, banking, legal, whatever it is, even a private investigator. You told us the stories about hiring a private investigator. Huge number of consultants, huge number of people that uh, equate, hopefully, to a successful business startup. When does a small business need to do this? How much of it do they need to do? How do they afford it? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to ask that yeah, question. There you go. Well, sometimes I can you give you one hard money. one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the private eye. I wish I had him earlier on my, uh, my Rolodex for my last business. That was so ugly. He found a connection that I just couldn't believe. Mm. But anyway. Um, the foundation is, I build the marketing foundation first, and that's when they should bring in someone like me that's done it before, and then determine if there is a market for their product or service, and who are they going to sell it to, and getting back to what we talked about earlier, what the value is. So that's, that's got to be number one on their list. The rest of them, they need to start investigating as they grow. So, you know, for example, Carol, when we grew in Actoris, you know, there was two of us, then there was three of us, then there was four of us. Now I started thinking, oh, I better get involved with, you know, human resources laws, policies, what are the things I don't know Mm -hmm. about that could harm me? Then I bring in an HR consultant. And the only reason I came up with this entire list for the book is so that people can start researching who these potential vendor suppliers and advisors could be when they need them don't wait until you have this avalanche and now you're scrambling to find a social media defamation lawyer which happened to me then i had to investigate all these lawyers and i didn't even know that was a a legal specialty that existed in this country right you know and then i found out social media laws have very very short statute of limitations in illinois it's six months you only have six months to file a suit or it's it's gospel. Wow. So you need to have, you just need to have these advisors lined up. Not that you have to hire them all, but you need to know who you're going to go to when you reach this level. And if you have a good mentor, you know, like me, I've already got the Rolodex. I'm going to tell you in your state, go here. You know, if you're mm-hmm. in California, go here because I've already done a lot of that investigation. Right. Well, so, can, but it's it's not hiring them all at once. It's okay. knowing you're going to eventually Good. have to hire them. Well, and I think too that there, that that in what you're doing to investigate to find these people is uh, self education. 
um, when I was working at Ohio State and I was doing budgeting constantly, that's not accounting. And needless to say, government accounting is not regular accounting. But um, I, I didn't even understand what I what I was looking at. I didn't understand the reports. I could throw a budget together, you know, cash in, cash out, but I didn't understand the reports. So I took some accounting classes. Needless to say, those were the best classes I ever took out of 25 years of school and three college <laughs> degrees. Those, those yep. three uh, accounting classes were probably the most useful that I've had over all these years. So just um, educating yourself in order to get the right people to support your new small business. And knowing what skills you need. Right. right. <clears throat> being, a- being able to admit, you know, I have a lot of, from my MBA class at Kellogg, you know, I have a lot of friends that call me from that class asking me about business advice. I have Mm -hmm. a lot of professors of entrepreneurship calling me, you know, professors of marketing calling me. They admit, well, I've never done it. You know, Mm -hmm. I passed the course, I teach it, I've never done it. And you you talk about accounting with my first retail business. Not only did I have one of the best mentors, I got one of the best CPAs that said, we're going to sit down at your kitchen table and we're going to get these green columnar pads mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you double entry accounting right. and how all these numbers tie together. Right. You know, fast forward 20 years in my MBA class, the, the professor could put up a, a case study with the numbers and I knew where all the holes were. Right. And I didn't even have to use a calculator mm-hmm. where everybody else was trying to figure out the relationships. They needed Excel so, in order to do it all. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I had, you know, a green piece of paper. and Exactly. I still yeah. have those columnar pads. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you really? I think I finally threw mine out oh. when I relocated here. I wasn't going to pay to move them anymore. True. Yeah. That's true. If you really need it, you can go to Staples, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, we know that money is a top issue for every business. We've talked about that a little bit already. But when you build your companies over the years has there been an even playing field for access to funds i mean what organizations are willing to finance a small startup funders for entrepreneurs and being a woman too yeah it's really it's really tough brett um i am going to be honest with anybody listening every one of the four companies i launched i launched with my own money um it, it was impossible uh to raise money uh at the beginning uh, I talked to a venture capitalist for Actoris Consulting Group, which is a management consulting firm. Now, at that point, that was my uh, third business. You know, I had a lot of experience. I had banking relationships. And um, he asked me one question. He goes, what are your assets? And I told him what we did. And he said, your assets walk out the door every day. I'm not going to fund anything like that. You're not taking the risk. I am. Mm-hmm. So... No one's going to take the risk for a small business owner, and especially when 85% are going to fail before you're five. Yeah, right. So no bank's going to take the risk. Mm-hmm. I've had people come to me looking for funding, and they'll give me their fancy pro forma <clears throat> with all the numbers, and here's what I expect to do. And one of them even said, and I expect to pay myself this salary every year. I'm not going to get, take a cut in income. And I go, well, then, then why, should, why should I? Mm-hmm. Right. And why should my friends? Right. And he just looked at me and I I said, it's not going to happen. So at what point in time then, how far are you with this business before you're really looking at outside funding? I'm going to tell you one story from Actoris, Carol. I don't even think you know this. Um, I think we're at about, I don't know, 
20, 15 or 20 people. And um, we were very good at saving money and, you know, not paying ourselves. And I was really good at going to clients saying, oh, please, can you can you pay me early? You know, we got mm-hmm. payroll next week or whatever. And, you know, because cash flow is an issue when you're selling right. to big corporations. Some of them right. wait 90 days. But we were going to we were going to have a second business doing training. And that was a separate corporation. And my partner in that business, who happened to be a woman, went to the bank to get some paperwork um, to apply as a woman-owned business for that, <laughs> for that second business. And the banker called me the next day and said, oh, I don't want you to leave. You know, I'll give you a loan. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I, so I thought, well, I'll just let him talk because maybe he called the wrong person. I, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, all right, you know. Well, I don't want you to leave the bank. Then I I had no idea she had gone to the bank uh, the day before. Then I realized he thought she was there to close both of our accounts and go to another bank. So then he realized he was going to lose our half a million dollars to a million dollars of receipts that were coming in every year. Right. And I went into my partner's office and said, they want to they want to give us a half a million dollar line of credit. And he goes, why? I said, they think we're leaving. There you go. So I said, let's go get the loan. Yes. So yeah. we went and got the loan. And wow. the guy was so excited. And he's given us free mugs. And, and you know, we're just sitting there looking at each other. We needed this money five years ago. Right. But we'll, ta- we'll take it now. You know, we'll take it now. Nice cushion. So I, I always tell people the only time I've ever gotten any funding was by mistake. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Really oh, my gosh. But it's true. <sighs> You know, it's absolutely, it, it's absolutely. And then we never did the training business. We folded that. It was something we were trying to add on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but he, he really thought we were. But I yeah, think that I think the lesson learned there is you understand what you're doing enough that you're not taking a chance. You knew what you were doing, getting that line of credit. You knew what was yes. going to happen. You knew to jump on the opportunity. And and yes. if you're not prepared ahead of time you were going to explain to that bank you're not leaving and then that million half a million is gone so exactly cool exactly okay all right (laughs) so it's it's even difficult it's even difficult to get sba loans because i've tried and even though the sba guarantees the loan the money still comes from the bank and the bank has their own approval process so you may pass the sba approval process but you're not going to pass the banks right one of the so. one of the things that I alluded to a, a, a second ago is in how the critical issue of hiring people. You know, an employer can't do it all. Um, if if you have a manufacturing company, you've got to have people who are actually making the widgets. If you've got a consulting company, you've got to have folks who are out there doing the business you've sold, the the work of that business. Um, but one of the things in your book that hit me so hard today's current employee is tomorrow's competitor. Talk to us about HR and all of the issues that HR and human resources bring up. I mean, that's huge for small businesses. It is huge. It's um, I've launched three other people's consulting firms that way. Uh, but fortunately, I had real... <laughs> and and did you get any money out of that? Or no? I'm, always, I'm, always training, I'm always training my employees how to run a business. 
So there's a few lessons here. One is uh, with the human resources consultant and getting back to the team of lawyers that you need. I even did a, a seven minute video on my YouTube channel about how many lawyers you need, how many different expertise uh, of attorneys you need. If you can't get it all in one person, you know, you're going to have to look for several. Right. right. Uh, one of them is the non-disclosure agreement where um, you have to have a solid non-disclosure agreement the day they come in to work for you. And not non-compete, it's very hard to uh, tell a person they can't have a job. So those typically, my attorneys advise me, don't hold up. But a non-disclosure agreement where the employee cannot even share the name of your client list, right. uh, cannot share the intellectual property that even already may be public knowledge, cannot share anything that goes on in the organization. So that helped me when th at three different times people left to launch their own consulting firm, they had to start from scratch mm -hmm. and they had a two year limit on, on the non-disclosure. So they couldn't talk to any of the prior clients. They couldn't talk to any of the prior employees. They, they couldn't use any of that information. They had to figure out how to do it for themselves. You know, like I moved in my sister's basement. Well, I'll go figure out how you're going to give up your lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know, in order to make this work and fund it yourself because no mm -hmm. one's going to give you the money. And um, the second thing is to have really good employee policies. And this is where a good HR consultant comes in, especially today with digital marketing and social media. So this happened to me with my last business where disgruntled employees even changed their name and started putting out things on social media mm -hmm. that was intellectual property. It was inside information on how I ran the organization. Mm -hmm. And so then I had to get legal advice to go after them because I could tell who they were. Now, this is a huge issue on Glassdoor mm -hmm. where people can anonymously post their experiences working for an employer. And I spoke with Glassdoor at one of their conferences, my, my HR, um, my head of HR at the time arranged the meeting and I spoke with them and I said, well, what if my employees who are anonymous on your website give away what my margins are in my business and how I'm running this business? Well, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, but the vehicle is there. So these are things that need to be in your, not only non-disclosure, not to talk about what's going on in your company, but um, how they're going to present it out. If any of that information gets out on social media, you have a legal right to go after the employee, especially if you can kind of figure out who it is. Okay. Or then you have to take it all the way up into court and get a, um, a court order to have the social media site, Facebook, whoever, release the names because they won't they don't have to release the names they won't goodness they're protected but they're protected by fcc laws and that's been one of my biggest complaints as a small business owner um and that is going to be in my next book the fcc law pr protects the owners of the social media sites they're not liable for the content uh whoever posts the content is liable but if they're using a phony name you have no idea who they are Right. And, and and that's gone back to the fake news piece. Exactly. That, that's that's exactly. the basis of that. So if that sounds familiar yeah. for anybody listening, it's it's exact same theory that Facebook cannot be held accountable. It, right. But that's the come person on. posting it is accountable. Right. That, which, but trying to identify who that person right. is, right? Yeah, is a challenge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. Well, so uh, that can really put you out of business. Well, well yeah. you're describing a money pit in regards to just stopping yeah. anonymous people. That, right. Oh there, is a, there is a third thing, and if we have time, an employer can do, and that's what I call separation of duties. And I was getting into that where I was going to have physical, separate physical offices. So where one group of people only did one function, similar to the military, you know, where nobody knows the whole picture except the guy at the top and the general. Hmm. You know, this group does this. This group is in another building doing something else. And now with people working from home, that's easier. So they don't have the entire picture to share on social media on you know, revealing the intellectual property and secrets and cost structures and everything else that's going on in the business. Wow. So that's another benefit for b- working from home then. Exactly. Honestly, so it's going to be corp- easier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's easier for large corporations now to keep all that separation wow. of duty. Yeah. Uh-huh. Interesting. Mm, goodness. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's that's a great yeah. inside baseball yeah. information, quite right, frankly. It's right. like, oh, yeah. that's what's right. happening. It's yeah. like the furniture refinishing people. If they hire employees and teach them all their trade secrets, how are they going to keep this person from going and launching a business mm-hmm. against them? Yeah. So I said, is there a way step one can be, if, if it's a chair, step one is done in this building, step two is done in that building, step three is done by a different employee, so not one knows the entire process. Sort of like uh, keeping the Kentucky Fried Chicken secret <laughs> yes. recipe secret for 100 years. <laughs> right. Exactly, or Coca-Cola. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Wow. Well, Carol gave me this question. She, she and social media are not on friendly terms for the most part. <laughs> uh, there are so many goods and bads in utilizing social media. We just alluded to that. And online communications. What have you found that has worked well you know, based on the Facebook, the LinkedIn's, the Twitters and such. And what do you see the future of, you know, working with online workshops, Zoom meetings, YouTube videos? They're prevalent. I mean, we've got now we got podcasts. We're just on a podcast. There's just so many different tools to use. What do you what, what's your crystal ball see? There is no crystal ball with yeah. social media. I've been researching it. Um <clears throat> Well, for about 15 months, I've been doing nothing with social media. When I started in 2007, 2008, 2006 with Center for Women Business Owners, there weren't that many people on it as there are today. You know, there's billions now. And it was much easier to grow a following. Today, there is so much competition. I get, I don't know, five, six LinkedIn requests every day to join somebody else's group mm-hmm. or to sign up for some other webinar. And the same thing on Facebook groups. I join a lot of women business Facebook groups to see what's going on there. And the way they're growing is by getting people to join more groups. Mm-hmm. And now I'm in like 15 groups and, and I'm seeing the same people in all these groups. And uh, I worked with a lot of digital marketing companies and not one of them can give me what the statistics are. So I don't think anybody knows. Uh, know, other than the, other than that guy named Algorithm, <laughs> no, I love that one. He might Algorithm, know. he yeah. knows. He's got the secret. He has he's it all. Secret. He has yeah. it all. It's that, it's that you know the hundredth monkey, the tipping point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. The tipping point. You know, and I keep saying, how many do I need? What's the tipping point? What's yeah. the tipping point? And they go, well, maybe it's ten more dollars. You know, and I go, no. You know, yeah. there's got to be a, a solution. So I'm finding that. People, you know, even like yourself, promoting your podcast, you're going to have to have different marketing avenues Mm -hmm. to get people to your show. 
You can't just rely on social media. So you're going to have to do word of mouth. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to do speaking like I'm doing speaking. You know, I get more clients doing for speaking than I do buying a Facebook ad. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because I, I have a more targeted audience, yeah. you know, because we don't know who algorithm is. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and they keep ch- and they keep, he keeps changing his you know, shape shifting exactly. every day. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely <laughs> right. Shapeshifter. Exactly. My yeah, gosh. Yeah. Well, and I also see some advantages of really staying up on top of the changes in social media in regards to the new tools that they might be adding. Maybe jumping on yes. that kind of quickly and understanding. Okay. What can we do with this little piece? What can we do with this little piece? And let's get on it right now. It may not be that big of a thing, but if your first one in, you get noticed that you changed yes. your, like on LinkedIn, your your photo is now a video. Okay. Yes. For the first month, you get a, you get a few, few more, you know, but at least you're in and doing it. So I think staying on top of that, to me, it looks as though if, if you could play that game a little bit, maybe, <laughs> you know, it doesn't well, cost well, you anything, I- at least there's no money. <laughs> it's just using the tools. Yeah. yeah. So I have a social media calendar that I keep. And every week I try and post, um, let's see, two, four, six, eight, ten, about 13 posts, videos, messages a week. And I use as many free tools as I can that schedule them for me. Mm-hmm. The only one I actually pay for is Canva because I love Canva. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can create all the different you know, bells and whistles you want on Canva. It's very easy to use. And they actually have a scheduling tool that mm-hmm. allows you to put out as many posts as you want. So I use Canva. I use the free part of Hootsuite. Um, I use uh, Facebook's publishing tool, uh, Instagram's publishing tool, and I try and be consistent. So twice a week, I've got video lessons out on a different message, like how many different uh, attorney subjects do you need? How do you do networking? I have one out in that. What's in a strategic plan? I have about 40 or 50 videos out there. And so I put out two a week. And then I post, you know, some motivational things. And then I post some other educational things that I find. If I'm promoting a webinar for SCORE, if I'm promoting um, my new book or, or a, a blog message that I posted. So I, I blog. I do some podcasting. I'm not seriously into it. I only podcast if people come to me that I feel were very successful in, in starting and getting to the fifth year, what are some of their lessons? And I video and audio them. But um, so it's podcasting, blogging, it's posting, it's putting your video out, it's speaking. It's I spend a lot of time, more time marketing than I do with clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is totally different today than it was, you know, 30 years ago. Right. I, I've, I've been talking about this message regarding our nonprofit agencies that uh, it's been difficult during the pandemic. But if you aren't there talking about your agency, nobody else is either. No, you're absolutely correct. And my brother struggles with trying to get local press. Right. You know, so if he's got a big enough event or get somebody there who's pretty popular or famous, if you can latch on to somebody who's got a passion for your charity, you know, and then you can tag on to their list. Mm-hmm. But people think people think that when they see these big um, marketers on social media that, you know, this just happens overnight. Oh, no. Right. They, and I don't know if you know this, there are companies where you can buy your followers, subscribers, your comments, your likes. Yeah, yeah. To build so that's, your social that's media. That's a short, short-term win, long-term loss <laughs> on that one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, yeah. it's... 
it may give you enough numbers to start to say, hey, I got a thousand people, you know, because people like to be with like 90 people. Yeah. So if they, oh, you know, she's only got two followers. Well, you know, if she's got a thousand <laughs> already. Well, we'll, fo- we'll follow that. There you go. You know, so. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like that in Hollywood where they buy their own paparazzi to follow them around. <laughs> so that's what I need. <laughs> We yeah. Need to hire our own paparazzi. There we go. To get us in the news. Thanks, Darlene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't need Brent, that. You know, Brett Brent used to be in radio. He knows that. He knows those guys. He, he can, uh, <laughs> we'll call Mark and see if he'll be my paparazzi. Wow. <laughs> follow, follow Carol around with a camera. Wow. That's an alternative universe right there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was just going to say you. that that is that is no, a, a no. disaster. <laughs> There's a business for everything. Oh, yeah, true, everything. True. Goodness gracious. There's a business. Oh my for gosh. Guys. We have we've we've hit a lot of challenges. I know. Um, <laughs> financing, human resources, social media, communications. It's it's out there. But there are other issues in your book that I wanted to make sure we had an opportunity to address. Um, things like preservation planning, which I thought was an interesting um, uh, name. It's not an oxymoron, but I I haven't quite figured figured this out. Um, But the pandemic brought so much to our doorstep and so much for for small business owners. Can we provide our listeners with just a bit of advice on, you know, meeting those challenges that come daily? This isn't, you know... I think the pandemic yeah. really brought it to bear here is these are daily issues, minute issues. Yeah, well, sometimes without warning. Oh, yeah. And, you know, every one of the challenges I, I wrote in that book, I experienced myself. And I wrote the book because I no one was talking about these. And I said, there's no way, no way. Uh, the t- there's only 10% of all businesses in the United States that ever reach seven figures. So that's what, about three million. And I said, there's no way those three million reach seven or eight figures without facing some of the same stuff I'm facing. And yet no one's talking about it. So um, one day when the pandemic started, I thought, I got to get this published. I just I've been working on it. I got to get these 12 messages out now, because when I was doing uh, face to face workshops before the pandemic, one question I would ask is, what's the one avalanche that's going to shut you down? Mm-hmm. You know, you're all making money now. You're all happy. Clients are coming in. You know, you've got employees that you don't realize are going to be your competitors tomorrow. You think they're going to be loyal forever. Uh, but they see you come in with a new Lexus and they're like, well, I want that too. If I own my own business, you know, I can buy a right. Lexus. I mean, they had no idea you gave up millions to get here. So I, I said, you know, I've got to get this written down. What's the one avalanche that can shut you down? And when I asked, can the government shut you down? Everyone would tell me, oh, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Never going to happen go. to me. And when I told them I was shut down by the government before the pandemic because of social media, and they're like, oh, you must have done something wrong. Yeah. And then a year later, boom, the world shut down. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so how much cash do you have? How are you going to how are you going to keep your presence, your marketing presence going while nobody's buying? Right. How much money do you have to keep stay online? 
you know, yes, the government gave us loans. Yes, they gave us PPP loans, which I blogged about because the small, small guys had the hardest time getting the money. When the PPP loans came out, you know, my brother who had the nonprofit was screaming at me on the phone because their bank said, we're only going to start PPP loans for those who already have a loan with that same bank. Mm -hmm. right. Now, he couldn't get a loan with that bank because he was new. <laughs> that bank would never give him a loan. Exactly. But it's such a catch-22. That's why I said it's not a, it's not a level playing field. Right. And I'm writing to every congressman in Washington, D.C., going, there's a problem here. Right. You know, this money's going to the sports franchises who have less than 500 employees because anybody with less than 500 employees in this country is considered small. Even when they have bank bank Billions. rolls of right, mm -hmm. right. Doesn't matter how much money they have; it's how many employees they have. Yes, right. and if they contract most of the employees, well, now they got thirty employees. Right. They could have five thousand contractors, but they're not considered employees. Mm -hmm. So there's all these loopholes, you know, in in the small business administration and and how these organizations help us. So you really have to have a game plan. Now, I thought by the time I opened up my fourth business, which I'm not going to tell you too much about because I never know what the legal situation is with it. But um, I researched that for two years. And at the end, I had the banks lined up. I had everything lined up. I never realized that the bank, my banker never realized. They, they, they're, um, it was a big bank. We're not going to give me credit card processing. <laughs> now, I got 50 people working for me, selling, and I can't process credit card. Right. Wow. Over mm. something that, that small, that little That's tiny, small. one task, liter right. literally. Yeah. One task. And the banker had told me, you know, when you open the doors, come back, then we'll, then we'll do the credit card processing application, then we'll take care of all that. I said, okay, fine. I don't need it now. You know, we're in the midst of training and launching and, mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I, why well, pay the fees if I didn't, you know, didn't need to. Right. And he didn't even know I couldn't get it. Wow. His boss told him, his boss's boss, oh no, we, we don't, we don't give credit card processing for that industry. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you want me to do now? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so when you're talking about meeting these literally minute by minute challenges, the one thing that was not in your favor, but to your advantage, is that you had this Rolodex. You had all of this information. You'd done the research. You knew who to talk to. Didn't get rid of the problem, but at least you had an avenue to follow because you had those resources. I just want to give out a shout out to a podcast that we did recently with the new president of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, Steve Stivers, who is a former uh, a U.S. legislator um, from Ohio. And um, you know, one of the things that we talked about with him was how the chamber can bring resources to businesses, how having the chamber and its members bring information and contacts and, a, and sort of a network that you are part of when you are part of a member of the chamber those are the kinds of things that employ that uh, new small business owners need to have lined up ahead of time you're going to have those minute by minute day by day problems and challenges but you have to be prepared just like a good girl scout exactly i i, I was always prepared that's why the the book talks about what challenges you need to be, be prepared for so what did i do for credit card processing i went to the third party processors which are all over the world the fees are enormous, 
and they don't release the funds right away. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, they kept some of the funds for six months. Wow. Goodness. But now I had a Rolodex. Yes, yes, yes. And mm. they didn't always tell me when the money was going to be released. And I'm going, how is this legal? Yeah. Right. You know, they're, well, they're not banks. Yeah. Right. So they're not controlled by the banks. As a matter of fact, most banks don't even give direct credit card processing. They own another company that does. Mm. Right. So they don't have to put the money on their books. But so what I had were my friends who had the money to write me big checks. And they covered the difference between the time I sold the product and uh, got the money from the credit mm-hmm. card processor. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And especially if I had a guarantee where I had to give the money back to the customer, mm. I didn't even have their money yet to give it back. Right. Right. You're in the hole twice. Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm in the hole twice. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. A huge mistake. <sighs> That was that was for me a big, yeah. very big mistake. So that's why I talk a lot about credit card processing in the book. You have to that should have been number one on my list. And mm. and never never thought it was gonna be a problem because the banker he didn't think it was gonna be a problem. Right. Right. Oh yeah, you've been here a long time. Yeah, you know, we'll get this going. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well this So you gotta be prepared yeah, <laughs> for all yeah. of those things. Yeah. 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 I, I think with every yeah. question we've asked you, it's been enlightening. <laughs> Every answer. Right. I hope so. Oh, my I'm gosh. Absolutely. Struck by lightning. Yeah, yes. <laughs> kind of those moments. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we always ask our guests for some final words of wisdom uh, or, or maybe some ideas or concepts we didn't touch upon necessarily. But uh, what are your thoughts? You know, some some final words of wisdom. Okay, the three big things. Okay. Number one, have a plan. Even if it's on a napkin, if it's on a single sheet of paper, don't bother with these massive business plans, these massive strategic plans, doing SWOT analysis, this, that. They're in every community, community college. Just, just go to my website. I've got the seven steps you need to do a plan. Know where you are. Pick a number that you need to live with and how much time you want to spend getting there. And then work on the ideal customer. What's their value? And then go out and test your product or service to see. And don't test with family or friends because they'll all say it's great. Go to strangers. Try and find as many strangers and you can even test it online now. That is, that's number one. And to help you with that process, get a mentor, get an advisor. There's a million business coaches online. So you have to be careful because many of them are life coaches who are now giving business advice. Right. And never owned a business before. So... Whoever you go to for help, always ask them, where have you done it before? Where have you been in my Mm -hmm. shoes before? Right. What challenges have you overcome? And if they're honest, they'll tell you. Because I survived all those challenges in that book, still made it to seven and eight figures, and still survived over five years. So it can be done. If I can do it, it and with no money, it can be done. Mm. It can be done, but you have to have a business, you know, that 60% of the people in this country are buying. Right. So I think it's easier in a saturated market to find a little niche. And I found a niche in a saturated market for Actors Consulting Group. Mm -hmm. And that's what helped us grow. We did over $40 million in sales over the life of that company. Yeah. So. Good. Good. But there were a lot of challenges, like the day the bank called me after they gave me the line of credit and said, we're pulling it. (laughs) What? Oh, what? No. I got a, I got a quarter of a million dollar payroll tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what 
what, what do I do now? Uh, <laughs> goodness. <laughs> so just those are a typical lot bankers, right? I guess. <laughs> They're not Good. my friends. No. <laughs> yeah. No. A- approval remorse rather than buyer's remorse. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. really. Yeah. Yeah. So. You gotta, I always tell people they have two or three banks lined up. I guess so. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm. Okay. Oh my gosh, right, Darlene, this has <laughs> been so anything? much fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, You're never going to go in business if, for yourself. That's what my yeah. Maybe that's what we that's learned. What she, oh, yeah, yeah gotcha. No, yeah. no I, what I've been so long, she goes, no, no way. If, if I have people following me, I'm going to know Brett called his paparazzi buddies. That'll be it. Right. Right. Darlene, thank you. It has been so much fun to reconnect. We I have to it. we have to do this again. We have to come up with some other reasons to to podcast with you. <laughs> I got lots of topics. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um you know, listeners, we're going to give you uh, Darlene's contact information. You'll see it on our website. Um and uh, you know, there are a lot of folks here in Ohio, but I am sure that she would be more than happy to talk to you. She's actually a Midwesterner from Illinois, so you know we we that's how that's my connection with her. But um, we just want to thank you so much the oh, insights thanks, and your willingness to give us your time. It's it's just been incredible. Um, so we hope to hear from our listeners, get us some feedback on this episode, right. and um, join us for the next one. Yes, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank. Thank you.